Today's Philippians 4, 2-9, the Christian mindset. What I believe God is going to try to do with us is help us have a Christian mindset with our text today. So hopefully you will be engaged and do that. I'll let you know up front, I will not drink after you, unless it's a crisis. If it's a really bad situation and, we, and in order to survive, I might drink after you. But the rest of the time, I'm not drinking after you. I don't drink after Stephanie. I don't drink after anybody. It's kind of a weird thing. I'm a germaphobe. I don't drink after people. I don't eat after people. I don't drink after people. Before COVID, I was like this. I'm, I'm that way. It's kind of a weird little quirk that I have. But most people won't drink milk after other people. Have you noticed that? They'll drink after other people, but they won't drink milk. Don't know why. There was a strange situation that happened when I was teaching at Southwest Baptist University in Bolivar, Missouri, many years ago. There was a a women's convention that was happening the same time where Christ in Youth was happening. I was privileged for 14 years to teach some very cool classes, advanced track sessions for college students that are getting ready to go into secular college. They weren't going to a seminary. They're going to secular college. What do they need to know? I got to teach that. I got to teach conflict management for people that had been in churches that had very big divisive issues. Some, many of them had been through splits. I got to teach them for 14 years. So I'm kind of floating around. I've got my name badge on very prominently. I'm an expert, you know, there to teach people. And um, I'm going around. I've got an assistant with me. He's got his name badge on. He's a friend of mine. And at one particular time, as I'm entering this building, there is a woman who's going to the women's convention. They're, they're all, we're sharing the same kind of general spaces. And as this woman's going in, she's in a wheelchair, and nobody's in front of her to open the door. So I thought, oh, I'm going to be helpful. So I actually ran a couple of steps. And as I reached to grab the door, as she's trying to do it herself, my, it looked like a nice gesture. At least to me, it looked like I was trying to be nice. But the problem is, as I reached for it, I clumsily misstepped, and my pinky caught the corner of her glasses, and it took her glasses, and it whipped them off her face and tossed them, and as it did it, it shocked her, because she, she didn't know anybody was near her, and it shocked her, so she made a sound like, whoa, like that, and everybody heard it, and it sounded as the glasses made a clacky, clanky sound. It sounded like somebody clapped their hands as I did that, reaching for the door. And she turned her head and goes, whoa, it looked like I slapped a lady in a wheelchair. <laughs> and and the, the first thought, I thought, oh, my goodness. And all these people are looking at me. I thought, cover my badge. That's the first thing. They can't know who I am. <laughs> and, my, and here's the worst part is my friend who was with me reached around to grab the door to get it because he knew what I was trying to do. And she's looking at me like shocked. You know, I grab her glasses and I help her. I hand them to her. I, I'm so sorry. And then my friend's looking at me, and he busts out laughing. So then I bust out laughing. And as I'm apologizing, I'm laughing. That's not okay. You, know, you don't slap the glasses off a crippled lady and then laugh at her. That apology is not really well received. So I got to tell you, I didn't feel like an expert of anything as I began my class. But I wanted to share that with you because I've got another funny something I'm going to share with you a little bit later that you'll, you'll be engaged with that, I'm sure. 
So Paul starts off today as he's going to engage our minds to try to get us to have a mindset of Christians. He, he gets a little personal. He starts off this way in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche. And the way he's saying this is very personal. You can see this. To agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, this is an interesting passage of scriptures. We've got some unique things going on here. One of the things that we have going on is that we've got Yodia and, and Syntyche, uh, characters that we haven't heard about. And in fact, if you do your research, find out what you can find out about these two, you will learn nobody knows anything about them, They're, except for what it says in Scripture. They're obviously ladies who are prominent in the church, probably fill some sort of a leadership role, and they, they might lead small groups in their home. They, who knows? Maybe they lead women's groups. I don't know what they do. We do. History doesn't record it. But for whatever reason, they're not getting along. They're, they used to work together, and now they're not. And Paul is asking his friend to help them. First, he says to them, I'm talking to you. I need you to work together with her. Talking to you, I need you to work together with her. And I need you to help these two women figure this out. And I don't know if you figure this out, but if the devil can get into your relationship, that if you're succeeding in doing something with somebody else as a couple, as a couple of teachers, as a couple of servants in the church, if the devil can get in there and get you to, to disagree about something so sharply that you don't want to deal with each other anymore... He has done what he does well. He's disrupted the service of the Lord. And, and it's probably taking its toll on other people, doing collateral damage wherever these two are involved. They're Christians. They're dedicated. But they're not as effective as they can be because they're not getting along. They need to get along. So he says this, and you can, as you read this, I feel no judgment from Paul. Do you? He's not being critical of them. He's just, I, I need you to get along. I'm begging you, work together. And he says, yes, he's talking to the true companion. We're going to get into this in, in a little bit of detail in a minute. But one of the other things that jumps out to me, I don't know if it does to you, is the name Clement. Have you heard this name before? Is this some, does this ring a bell for you? Because there's a couple of them. There's, in the first century, there's a couple of Clements. There's a Clement of Alexandria and there's a Clement of Rome. There's only one mentioned in the Bible, and it's only mentioned one time in the Bible. It's right here. Now, if you decided to pull out your phone in the middle of preaching, and by the way, that's increasingly more acceptable. If you see somebody pulling out their phone while the preacher's preaching, they're usually not texting somebody else. They're usually following along in Scripture. Or they might even be Googling to find out more about Clement. Well, let's do that. So here's Clement up on the screen behind me. You'll see a, a Google search thing. This is what you discover if you look up, if you type in Clement 
in the Bible, and this is Microsoft Bing, not Google, but they both are similar in their search results. And I want you to notice a glaring error. Does anybody notice a glaring error right up in your face? Yes, Philemon. There is no, there's no chapters in Philemon for one thing. So how could there be, how could this be in Philemon 4.3 when there is no Philemon 4.3? It's Philippians 4.3. That's, we just read that. So it's in our text. But because somebody somewhere who's perceived to be an expert, which it is, it's the topical Bible. Uh, so this is supposedly a place where we're supposed to be able to look and find the, the right answer. Well, it's got the wrong answer. And it's on Google and Bing. It's out there for the world to see the wrong answer. There's no Clement mentioned in Philemon at all. It's in Philippians. Well, so if, if that doesn't scream volumes at you like, oh, maybe we can't trust everything we see on the Internet. How about that? Some people input false data. They don't mean to. This is just an error. Philippians, Philemon, they're close. That's, that's all it is. It's just a simple error. So I wanted you to see it's very obvious the Internet gets it wrong sometimes. In this case, it definitely got it wrong. But what you could learn, you could see that there's a mention of Wikipedia. Now, I want to talk to you about Wikipedia. So it was a couple of weeks ago at the prison when some guys came in. They were not related to Muslims or Christian, but they came into the chapel area, and as they were leaving, it's one of these things that happens. If you're not in a prison environment, you don't know how this works, but Prisoners don't get to go where they want to go anytime they want to go. That's just the way it works. So as it's time for them to leave, they know this, so they've shifted and they're ready to go, but they don't get to move until an officer says you get to move. So they're waiting. And as they're waiting, I'm standing there with them because the group that's there needs me to be there. When there is a lull, they could get out of control. So I'm there. And my officer's there, and they ask me, hey, what's the... What's the biggest religion in the world right now? Is it Christianity or, or is it uh, Islam? And I thought, well, last I checked, it was still Christianity, but I don't know. So I, that was the answer. I don't know. My officer is in front of a computer, and so he Googles. And he discovers the answer in Wikipedia. He says, well, it happens to be Christian. Here's the number for Christian. Here's the number for Islam. And he gave a few other numbers. And they're like, oh, they're satisfied. He said, so what's... Uh, what, what's the source? And he said, Wikipedia. I go, okay. I said, uh, I'm going to go in my office and I'm going to change those numbers right now. I don't know if you know this. <laughs> you, you can change Wikipedia. I've done it. When it had to be information that I was connected to, I went in and corrected the information. It's a, it's a publicly shared uh, conglomerate of information. And I can go into Wikipedia and change the information. Be careful when you're on the internet. I still love books. I hope you love books. And you got to be careful with books. Don't, just because it's in a Christian resource and it says it's a Christian book doesn't mean it's good for you. So you got to check the source, trust, trust, the, trust the earned trust sources. So I wanted to talk to you about Clement just a little bit. Uh, one thing you can know, and Wikipedia does have a lot of things right, you can know that Clement really was a character who existed in the first century that was from Rome, and that's who Paul's talking about. Uh, and he was a companion of Paul's. So was Clement of Alexandria. 
that can be confusing. And the, the name Clement, you've heard, you probably haven't heard that in a man's name. Has anybody ever met a man named Clement? Well, you've probably known people or at least heard of a female name, Clementine. It means, uh, kind of means uh, mellow, gentle. It's kind of a neat name for a female, especially, especially for a man, too. But Clement was clearly someone Paul's talking to here in, the, in our text. But the fascinating thing is he ultimately became what the Catholic Church called him was the Bishop of Rome. In the first century, he was a very big leader. And even after interacting with an incarcerated Christian, he was still, he, he was elevated to a prominent position about 20 years later to basically, as history tells it, Peter handed off the mantle to him. Now, there's a couple people in between, quite possibly, because there's a little mix-up in that history. But we do know that he wound up in about 88 um, AD in charge, essentially. He was seen as the leader of the Christians in Rome. So a prominent character. So wanted you to at least have some factual information about Paul's friend, Clement. Now, we're going to get into some meaty stuff, and this is kind of fun. Let's go into uh, the text again. Let's look at that. You see it up behind me? Now, what I've done, uh, what I'm going to do is going to highlight some Greek words. So the first one, the Greek word for true companion, you'll see the words true companion just went away. And you see the Greek words there. Well, that's Greek to me, so we don't know what that is, most of us. So I want to go ahead and give you how you uh, see this in English. We'll take one word at a time. So the first word here you see is gnesis, uh, or gnesi. And the way that is translated here is genuine or loyal. Would you like to be described as a genuine person? or a loyal person. That's kind of cool. In this particular phrase here, there are a lot of scholars that think this is referring to a particular individual with this nickname of these two words together. Uh, the next word here you see is siske. And people believe that this is a nickname given to this individual, this unknown. We don't know who particularly this is Paul is identifying, but it's a particular individual that he considers a comrade. The translation for this particular Greek word here you see is yoke fellow or comrade. So this person, whoever Paul is talking to, is someone Paul feels close enough to to be able to say, look, we're close, we work together, you've worked with these two, help them get along. Sometimes it takes that, you might not want to admit that, but sometimes it requires that you uh, use a mediator if you can't figure it out on your own. And that's this case. I also want you to notice another word here, and that's a word for labored, talking about these women who labored. And the ESD includes side by side, which is good because we look at the Greek word, you see it's replaced up there. And the way you say it is synethesan. And if you literally translated, it means labored together. 
So these women are known as hard workers who've, who've worked hard together. That's why the side-by-side -side is in the ESD. And it behooves us all the more if we have a history of working well together in ministry, we don't need to be divided so that our ministry is less successful than it can be. Now, I want to highlight a particular part here that we can't pass over. The last part, it says, whose names are in the book of life. That's a, that's a cool little thing that he puts there, that little caveat. So he's asking this person to help these two get along. He's asking each two of them, do your part and get along, agree in the Lord. He's wanting them to do this. He's trying to compel them very sternly. It ends up in our Bible. And he makes sure that we're all aware they're Christians. They're solid. They're just not getting along. That, that happens. And I want to give you something else here because this comes up. So I want to give you something out of 1 John. I'm going to read the whole passage out of 1 John chapter 5. You'll see it come up behind me. Starting with verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Now, what happens is, quite often, is people will take passages like this one, they'll take this one in particular, and say, you see that? The Bible says, you ask it, you get it. Name it, claim it. God is your bellwaiter. You know, you tell God, and he's going to do it. Really? I thought he was my Lord. I didn't think I was his. The way the scripture clearly words it, it doesn't say if you ask for it, then you get it. If you ask for it, you know, you know he hears you, so you know he has your requests. He's heard your requests. There is, there is a little piece in here you can't ignore, his will, according to his will. You do know Jesus prayed for the will of God. You do know that there's a lot of teaching out there that implies that God's will automatically always happen. Well, if it's meant to be, it'll happen. That's not what Scripture teaches at all. That's not what this teaches at all. In fact, there's people that have corrected me after I've, they've asked me to pray for something, I pray for it, and then, like, I'll pray for healing for somebody, and I'll say, but Lord, your will be done, then they'll correct me. Don't pray, don't do that. You don't have enough faith. When you do that, your faith is weak. Don't, don't put that on the end. Pray believing. I do pray believing. But God's will is always better than mine, isn't it? Don't you understand that? So always pray for God's will. That, that's this, if you want to approach the Lord with confidence, always approach Him knowing that His will is greater than yours. Might not be as comfortable, might not be exactly what you want, but what He wants is always what's best. But I want you to, the part I want to focus on is this part that you may know that you have eternal life. When you identify the purpose of 1 John, it's very easy to identify because he says, I write these things, <laughs> and he says the purpose. So that you believers, you might know you have eternal life. Christians, we're not supposed to live our lives wondering if we have eternal life. You can know. And Paul wrote about 
these fellow believers that were not getting along, these two women that were having trouble working together, and he spoke highly enough of them, and including, included Clement, they're, they're good. They're saved. You can know that. Jesus went to the cross so you can know that. You can live knowing you're okay. If Jesus is your Lord and you live for him, yes, you mess up. We all mess up. But he did enough at the cross to save you, and you can rest assured you're okay. Yes, you still got to work on things. You'll never arrive at perfection here on earth. But you can live your life knowing that your destiny is in heaven above. Just be loyal to, to the Lord. So let's move on to the next part. He just went personal. Now he's going to get personal with us. Are you ready for this? This is good stuff. So Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. There is a song. Have you heard the song? And the song, it, it, the way they do it is that you sing it in waves. And it's kind of cool. It could be a never-ending song. If you don't have a song leader who knows how to end it, it'll just forever go. But you can do it in waves. You have, like, it can sing over the different, you know, um, it, it even can be done in, in Spanish. I learned it in Spanish. And you can do it in waves in English and Spanish at the same time. And it can be a beautiful thing. But the reason why that song is done in waves one side of the room sings the first part, which is this, rejoice in the Lord again. I will say it, re rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And then there's another part. And then this side of the room sings that part. At the same time, they're singing different things, and it's still beautiful. But you keep repeating. Why? Because that's this verse. It repeats. It says the word joy, notice this, four times. Watch up behind me. You'll see that in a visual illustration. There you go. Joy, 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 joy. That's a little Chinese restaurant down the road. I don't know if you've seen it. Uh, sounds like the name of a Chinese restaurant, but it's not. It might be, but in our scripture, it's joy, 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 joy. Rejoice is joy twice. And then I'll say it again, rejoice. That's joy twice. So that's four times joy. Now, that's a cool thing. Now, one of the things that we do by nature, by human nature, is we, we're drawn to the negative. Okay, I want to indulge us all for a moment. If you'll go ahead and pull up the slide, but don't start it, just show the little, there you go. Now, I'm going to play a, a little section of a, a little news blurb that came out in 2007. And what happens is, I want you to notice something. So the person that's filming the event moves the camera and actually zooms in on something negative. It's not what they're supposed to be filming, but it helps us to enjoy the moment. So I want you to go ahead, and I'll make sure that I put this, I'll give this to Marcy, and she can have it on Facebook if you want to find it. But I want you to enjoy this just for a moment. But there was a problem out there today. One of the bridge designer's shows had a difficulty. A model fell down twice. That's her going down once. The young woman wearing that pink skirt and the orange platform shoes. She never quite recovered after that. There she goes. <laughs> that was uncool. That's embarrassing. This is at least the second time. <laughs> 
Okay, I wanted you to enjoy that for a minute. Watching a news person laugh when he's not supposed to laugh, and uh, the other news person laugh, and then the other person laugh. What we just watched is the fulfillment of Scripture, at least in the sense that there's a lot of joy happening on the screen. So I want to show you that slide again. It shows the joy, 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 joy popping up. Laughing is probably the most... uh, the biggest and most popular outward expression of joy. Laughing is cool. Laughing is fun. It's a, something that we sometimes do when there's tragedy, like this lady who was struggling with the high heels. I'm sure I would too. Don't imagine that. That might be funny. But joy, having joy upon joy upon joy upon joy, that is, that is something that doesn't automatically come to us as Christians. Yeah, we'll laugh at tragedies, we'll laugh at funny stuff, we'll laugh at other people laughing, even if we don't know why they're laughing. But, and we'll laugh at babies, we don't know why they're laughing, and they'll be laughing, and we'll laugh at it. We we like to laugh, that's cool. When it comes to what Paul's trying to convey to us, is we're supposed to be the kind of people that do this. We, we have joy upon joy upon joy upon joy on a regular basis, it's who we are, it's what we do. Why? Because we are saved. We know Jesus. We, are not, we know we are not stuck on this horrible planet forever. This, what we go through in this life, most of the time, will feel more like hell than it will like heaven. We get some fractions of heaven, like in church sometimes. We get a little taste of heaven. But we know that there is so much more ahead. And we get to experience joy here on earth because we get these tastes of heaven. So we have joy that it just emits from us. The problem is sometimes we get so caught up in thinking a certain way that we get stuck there, and it's just what we do all the time. Maybe you've seen the people that enter a room and they are completely frazzled all the time with everything they do. They just can never seem to get it together. And even when it seems like they finally got it all sorted and everything, and now they're going to sit down and rest and calm, like, ah, they're still stressing over something. You've seen this, right? Maybe it's one of us. I don't know. Maybe more. But Christians, we're supposed to be the kind of people that are having joy upon joy upon joy upon joy. We know the King of Kings personally. There's no greater celebrity that you could throw out there and say, well, I spoke to, I know. We know Jesus. This should emit joy from us, no matter what we're going through. Now, don't get into, there is a charismatic teaching that you have to always be smiling all the time or you're not a Christian. Christians always smile. I follow the Lord Jesus, and I don't see him smiling on the cross. 
I don't see him smiling when I make a mistake. Uh, there's times when you, you just can't smile. But as we go through life as Christians, we do smile a lot. And sometimes we're even able to laugh in times it doesn't make sense to other people. Christians have funerals. We'll have memorial services where you have a dinner afterwards. And sometimes even in the middle of the service, you'll talk about something and everybody laughs. I went to a service of a friend of mine. Uh, he was a, he was a, a Air Force guy, and he retired. Then he went on to work for Boeing, and uh, he was a, an animal guy. Loved horses. His wife really loved horses. His name was Kenny, and he was very dedicated to God, very dedicated to Scripture. And a tragic accident happened. It was completely preventable, uh, in the sense that the school teacher uh, that was always late every day all the time, uh, lived kind of a distance from the school where he served, he uh, didn't have time to look at his phone to see if he had any messages, so he just took off and he raced to school as he did every morning, speeding around, passing people in curves. That's what he was doing in a rural area. And uh, he didn't even have to go to school that morning because there was a power failure and there were, they had they had uh, put a two-hour delay on the school. He, he had plenty of time. But he was racing. He was trying to get there, and when he passed that one curve, Kenny was coming, and Kenny had a couple of big trucks. He was doing quite well financially. He had a couple of big trucks. He had a, couple, had a big SUV, uh, but he let his wife and his sons drive those while he drove an old Toyota Tercel. Got good fuel mileage, and he was just fine. And as the school teacher was passing him around the curve, passing others around the curve, he found Kenny head on. There was nowhere for him to go. He tried to swerve, but the impact completely took his, his body took the impact. And it was, this happened between Thanksgiving and Christmas that year. And he passed away before Christmas. His funeral was heavy. Very heavy. He left two boys still in high school. One was about to graduate. And his wife, he had a daughter. And as I went to the funeral, I was expecting to do a whole lot of crying. I, I don't cry a whole lot. I cry in movies I shouldn't cry in probably. But I don't cry a whole lot. But I was expecting this is going to be hard for me because he was my friend. And one of the things they did, and I hadn't even thought about it, is they, they showed a video of him. He had a tablet. He was on the couch. He was in his own world, and he was watching some funny video like you just did. And he began laughing at whatever he was watching. And he had one of those kind of laughs that was loud. It was goofy. And if you heard him laugh, you laughed too. And he started laughing, and they played this video. And he kept laughing and kept laughing. There wasn't anyone in that memorial service that wasn't laughing as we watched the video of the guy that had an untimely death. And it was a beautiful service. Christians can do this. If you don't know Jesus, I don't know how you pull something like that off. I don't know how you can laugh when somebody's gone on to eternity and you don't know where their soul was headed. I want to suggest to you that you, you've, I want to give you a plant a seed in your head that because you know people, 
You know, you've been around people that just emit joy. You get near them and you're happier. That's, that's who they are. I'm going to suggest to you, I'm going to plant a seed in your mind that you should become that person. As much as you enjoy being around these people that just make you happy, be that person that makes everybody else happy because you know Jesus. So I'm going to suggest to you, I want you to sit up behind me. Here's my uh, mad skill. I want you to practice this mad skill. I've got a mad skill. It's fat thumbing. I can, I, can, I can fat thumb things all the time. I can misspell things. I can, I'm good at fat thumbing. But here's a, a mad skill I want you to practice. I want you to understand something. You might see people that are good at certain things. I was telling Paige that I'm, I almost bought a softball bat the other day. I don't play softball. It's been years. But I was tempted because they showed a guy and uh, they pitched that ball to him and every single time he hit that ball, it was over the fence every time. Then I finally came to my senses and thought, you know, this guy, give him any bat and it's going to be over the fence every <laughs> time. You know, it's not the bat. <laughs> so I didn't buy the bat. But there are people, you see these people with amazing skills. They're able to do things that you can't do. People that do woodworking, people that work on computers, people that do plumbing, people that are able to do fine cooking. People that do all these different skills that you, you, don't, you know you can't do. You know what? You can do this. So I want you to practice this mad skill. Here it is. See it come up behind me. Be a permeator of joy. The people that go around and make other people happy, that didn't just happen. They work at it. They purposely determine to focus on things that will bring joy to other people. And some people are really good at this. Some people are really good at making other people happy. And this is something, it's, it's not like swinging a bat. It's not like um, other types of things where you just have to have some sort of a natural thing going on. No, you do not. You know Jesus. You have every reason to have this kind of joy in you. So you have what it takes to make this a mad skill. You can be a permeator of joy. No, it doesn't look good on a resume. You can't go into the interview and say, well, I'm a permeator of joy. Let me help you. It's not going not gonna to help you out a whole lot. But when it comes to your everyday interactions with other people and your interactions with people in church, this can be a game changer. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is what we're supposed to do. Try it. Focus on the good in other people. Even if you got a mask on, they'll see your smile with your eyes. You see it in others. Be the kind of person that when other people come in frazzled and they're sorting through things and they're stressed about everything, when they look up at you, their shoulders drop. It's good to see you. When people come into the door of the church who haven't been here in a long time, you know, I said, don't do that thing where you say, oh, look who showed up. You know, don't do that. That makes them feel horrible. What you say to them is, if you haven't seen them in a while, 
It's good to see you. Their eyes will smile. Their, their soul feels some joy. You just became a, a permeator of joy. Be that person. You could be at the, at the store and there's a cashier there that clearly the person in front of you was not very nice. You can change that. You, you know Jesus. You have a joy in you they cannot know unless they know Jesus. Maybe they do know Jesus, but share some of that joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Okay, that's just the first part. There's some more coming. Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. You'll see that up behind me. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, there's a lot here. It's not a lot of words, but there's a lot here. I want to give you, because some of you are thinking, wait a minute, I don't know if my translation says that. Let me give you the King James. You ready? Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. I've told you before I believe the King James is a good translation. I will tell you today, this is not an example of that. This is a bad translation. And it's not because the King James messed it all up. It's because times have changed, and the way we understand certain words is very different today than it was way back then. And I'll illustrate that to you by looking at the particulars here. Here's the Greek word. You'll see it come up behind me. Now you'll see how to say it. And this is the way Strong's defines it. If you don't know what Strong's is, Strong's is a concordance that you should have in your personal library. It's cheap. You can find it for under 20 bucks, typically all day long. Seemly, equitable, and yielding. Strong's makes a distinction and says, but here's how it's used. Here's what it means. Here's how it's used. Here's the other definition. Gentle, mild, forbearing, fair, reasonable, and moderate. I want you to know something. I'm going to give you a heads up on using Strong's Concordance. And see, what Strong's Concordance will do for you is you can actually learn what the actual Greek is or the Hebrew or the Aramaic. You find out a little bit more. You can look it up in the back, and it'll give you these definitions. It's kind of cool. So it's a nice tool to have in your home. The problem is Strong's Concordance is based on the King James Bible. So every time you see the King James, um, every time it's translated in the King James a certain way, that will appear in a definition because Strong's is designed to support the King James. Just like if you get an NIV concordance in the, in the definition, it will have the NIV translation as a definition option because they're designed for that way. So when you read the Strong's Concordance, it will always tell you the King James definition as one of the options. The problem is that word moderation. That's a problem. Because in today's world, in fact, I've, I've got a dear friend that says this on a regular basis, even though I've said, look, you, you're going to have to give up that verse. Not the verse itself, but the translation. This verse. You can't, you can't do this. And what she has done is she keeps saying, moderation in everything is okay. Moderation, moderation. No, it's not. Think about this. Uh, the way we understand the word moderation, just a little bit is okay in everything. Really? A little bit of cocaine? You all right with that? You, know, you can go all kinds of 
different ways with this. No, there are some things just not okay. A little bit of murder, is that okay? So you know moderation is not going to work. That's not what's intended here, what, what, the way it was, used to be understood. The way people understood moderation was you, you control yourself in such a way that you're kind of level. You kind of stay level. You, you, know, you might have some, some peaks and some valleys, but you yourself keep yourself in control. And there's one of these things that is a great attribute to have. If you don't have it, it's great. For your family, it's a wonderful thing that if you walk in the room Everybody knows everything's okay because you just walked in the room. The kind of person that has that kind of aura, that kind of presentation, is the kind of person that this is talking about. Reasonable person. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. A person that stays calm under pressure. A person that when there's a crisis happen and they walk in the room, it's going to work out. Christians, this is supposed to be us. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. What does that mean? Well, it means exactly what it sounds like. It's a colloquial expression back then as it is today. The Lord is close by. That's all that means. He's right here. He's with us. And He's in us. And He's at the right hand of the throne of God. And we are able to have his support, his guidance, his correction, his power, so many things at our disposal. The Lord is here. Let your reasonableness, reasonableness be known to everyone. That's who we're supposed to be, Christians. People that, that we don't get all worked up over stuff because we know that Romans 8, 28 is still true. So, be that way. There's more. We'll get to these other chunks in our text and go through them quickly. Philippians chapter 4, continuing with verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts, and your minds in Christ Jesus. There are people that will read this today and say, ha, yeah, right. Tell me to don't be anxious. It just happens. I want to explain something to you. Yes, it happens. And when you go through it, then you've got to be, um, you've got to go through uh, some way of getting past it. You might have to have counseling. You might have to have medication. That's a real thing. But I want to give this to you. So I, I used to play softball, love play softball. And had a, we had five teams, and we dominated Thurston County in the softball league. I loved it. <clears throat> we went out to eat after church on one Sunday. I don't remember if we had softball later or not, but the whole bunch of us went to Arby's, a fast food place you're all familiar with. So we go to Arby's, and I'm trying to be nice. My family's the last family that pays for the food, their food, and orders it. I'm the last one to get the food. I, I go ahead and I fix my drink and I put it there where, with, where I'm going to sit. 
and I get the food and I hand it all out, you know, and everybody else has been enjoying themselves. We did pray as a group in Arby's. That's a cool testimony. But so I go to sit down and my son comes up to me and says, before I take a drink out of my cup that I had already prepared, he comes up to me and goes, Dad, you probably want to get a different, another drink. Why? Because I drank out of it. You know me? You know I don't do this. I'm thinking, what are you thinking? You drank out of my cup. I don't drink after people. And he knows. So he's, I, saw, I paused for a minute and thought, why is he telling me? He didn't have to tell me. I'm thinking, I'm getting uptight about this right now. I'm, I'm getting uptight. I'm thinking about getting uptight. And then I'm thinking, I need to evaluate this situation. And, uh, and I, I think people could tell I'm getting uptight. My face is probably getting red. Like, why are you drinking out of my cup? I got you yours. What are you thinking? And I, as I'm boiling, because now i got to go buy another drink, because um, I worry about the backwash and everything. It's not just going to be a straw replacement. It's going to be a whole new drink. So as I'm doing this, this guy sitting right here, right by me, he says, I'll, just, I'll, I'll buy you another one. Says, no, don't worry about it. It's fine. I'll get it. It's fine. I'm trying to think, why is he, offer, why is he trying to buy my drink? It's weird. So I got it. It's okay. Because uh, he could tell I was upset. I said, how about I just learn to lighten up? How about that? And so it's one of those things. When I played softball, I could sometimes, I could hit it over the fence. But a lot of times I didn't. And sometimes I just bobble it. And when I would bobble it, it's because I wasn't telling myself, because it's slow pitch. As that ball's coming, I have to say in my head, I have to hear myself say, wait, 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 because I want to kill it. I have to say that because it's coming too slow. I want to step out there and go get it before it gets to me. I have to tell myself, wait, wait. And just so you know, I tend to not talk to myself. We don't get along. <laughs> anyway, I um, tell myself when I'm softball, wait, 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 wait. And I'm at the table, and I'd already learned a lesson. Chuck Swindoll taught it to me as I was studying through some of his research material. He, he likes that phrase, lighten up. I had to tell myself that because I tend to get up tight sometimes. Lighten up, lighten up. So as this is happening with this guy across the table, I'm thinking, why did he drink out of this? My son knows don't drink after me or don't drink before me. And I'm thinking, I told him, let's lighten up. Okay, I'm go up there, I'll pay for it. And I, I'm just, I just need to relax. I didn't take a drink out of it, so I'm good. He warned me, okay, it's fine. It's just a drink. Lighten up, just relax. Okay, on the ride home, he said to me, Dad, you know why I told you not to drink out of your drink, that I drank out of it? Yes, I'm ready to start lecturing him. Let's talk about that. And he says, I didn't take a drink out of it. You didn't? No, Tom did. The guy that was trying to buy my drink, he took a drink out of it. Just did it because he drinks after everybody. And he just said, hey, oh, I wonder what he got. And he was just drinking out of it. My son was trying to protect me and him. He didn't want me getting upset with Tom. He'd rather me get upset with him. And that could have gone south really fast if I hadn't paused for a minute and decided not to be anxious about the situation. I decided, lighten up. It's just a drink. Lighten up. I had to tell myself that. Because I tell you what, if I hadn't done that, I would have bobbled the ball. 
I would have ruined my testimony. I would have upset people that I care about, all because I chose to get anxious about it. And I thank God that somebody had the courage to tell me through books I read of theirs, Chuck Swindoll's, lighten up. Like I'm telling you right now. Lighten up. It's usually not that big a deal to get all worked up about it. But that's what we do when we get anxious. We coddle the problem. Yes, there's a problem. But then we coddle it. And we make it bigger than it has to be. It's a legitimate problem. Yes, it is. But how's it helping you to hug it, coddle it, shake it up, and throw it around and hurt other people? Is that helping anything? No. Lighten up. Don't be anxious about anything. Well, what about this? What about, what about the, there's, there's this much coming in, and this much has got to go out this month, and I don't know how we're going to get it done. That's a problem. That stresses me. That makes me anxious. You don't understand. That's a very real thing that you don't have to deal with, pastor. You're not having to deal with that right now, and I am. Or, or what, about, what about the fact that I've got family that I have loved my whole life. I've poured myself into them, and now they don't seem to love me back. You think that's something I could just pretend is not there? I'm not suggesting you pretend your problems aren't there. I'm suggesting you follow Scripture. That the worst thing that could ever happen to anyone is that their soul burns in hell. And guess what? You don't get to control that. Each individual just gets to determine their destiny you get to share Jesus with other people. And that's opportunity after opportunity. And if you focus on those things instead of the problems that are there that you have to deal with, then that therapy is so good. Those things become secondary, as I told you before. Your priority is Jesus. Those things become secondary. Then you understand what this is talking about. Just hand it over to God. Say, God, I'm not doing well with this. I'm worked up about it. I'm trying to lighten up, and I'm struggling with it. Hand it over to God. Just that therapy of saying, I can't, God, you can. Please do something with this. Your requests will be made known once you make them known. And that peace, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make sense. No, you can try to figure it out. Well, I don't know how that's going to make any difference. I've got stuff I'm really going to. You tell me to hand it over to God. You make it sound so easy. I've prayed. It hasn't helped. I'm telling you, don't be anxious. Hand your requests over to God and you can experience peace that doesn't make sense to the world. And then he will guard your hearts and your minds so you might be protected against those moments when you might get too worked up about things. Okay. Next chunk of scripture. We'll continue with verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And some people will be critical when they talk to me sometimes or listen to me or maybe even you. 
So you sound like you're one of those Norman Vincent Peel people. It's like power of positive thinking. It's always positive, positive, positive. Always just everything's always rosy. No, it's not. Sometimes it's miserable. But my Bible and your Bible tells us we're supposed to dwell on the good things. We're supposed to dwell on the better things. We're not supposed to coddle and focus on the negative things. We have to deal with them, but focus on the good stuff. We just read about it. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence or if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. It's one of those things, if a, if a Christian has this kind of mindset, you know that whatever we're doing for the Lord is never, you can never just do something and say, well, that, that, that's good enough. No, it's never just good enough. We do it our best. Because that's the way we think. That's how we live. That's, that's who we are. He wants our best. He wants excellence. He wants all this good. So think this way. Notice this. After all this other stuff that Paul's been saying, he says, finally, I want you to get this. Think about the good stuff. It's better for your minds. Okay, the last verse, verse 9. We'll wrap it up with this one. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul is saying, you, you know how, and I'm paraphrasing largely, you know how when I, when I see you, when I'm there, everything seems to calm down. You know how I, I Make sure that I am reasonable and everyone can tell my reasonableness is evident to all. You know how I think about the good things even though I'm incarcerated and I'm telling you think on good things? You know how I do that? You do that. You see it in me? Do that. And you know they're getting this letter from him who is incarcerated and he is telling them don't dwell on the negative things and he's the one that's in prison. He's the one that's been incarcerated for his faith, and they're not. And he's saying, think about the good things. Wow. He's that guy who knows how. Be like him. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the example you've given us, and Paul, the apostle who wrote this letter that seems to be directed at me, and us, God, we want to be your people. We want to represent you so well that other people can see that we have something they don't and that they need. So God, we ask that you would use us as your instruments in this world that is in desperate need of you right now. In Jesus' name, amen.